0: You're listening to Under the Hood.
1: Get the ESPN Chicago app for podcasts and the
2: live stream
0: from
1: anywhere, anywhere, anywhere.
0: Download in the app store today. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.
2: The big P word is perception when it comes to Chicago Bulls. It's one of the reasons why the Bulls are in this position right now the perception if you're a free agent or if you're someone that's going to be drafted you look at the Bulls and say oh you're just in, just any other organization just like some free agents and some other agents and players look at the New York Knicks the same way and they say us oh, New York is just another city it's just another building the thing that the Bulls need to do is to make sure that they're just not another city not just not another team the bulls have been able to change the face of the organization in something that should have been done years ago. Keep in mind of the ebb and flow of the issues with this Chicago Bulls team. In that over the last 10 years, you haven't seen the Bulls in Eastern Conference Finals. In a world-class city with a lot of tradition, you would just think that the Bulls would be a team that's in the mix, if nothing else, to get in the playoffs and fight. This Bulls team doesn't have fight Not just the Jim Boylan Bulls, but the Fred Hoiberg Bulls, they didn't have a lot of fight. The Tom Thibodeau Bulls, they had fight. Tom Thibodeau did everything he could to try to get this team to a championship level, but yet he was ridiculed because some of you, many of you, sided with management, believing that Tom Thibodeau just ran his players into the ground too many minutes and all the injuries were because of Tom Thibodeau. Well, ultimately, it's about player selection. It's ultimately about trying to find the best players available to get in the playoff hunt and get Larry O'Brien's trophy. But the Bulls, just like that, changed the face of their organization by having Arturis in this spot right now, and it's great. Karnasovas is a guy that has been well-respected in the international community, and he should give the Bulls an advantage in global scouting. That's also very important. But he came from the Denver Nuggets, and while he drafted well, since 2013, he traded for Nurkic, Gary Harris, Jokic, as well as Jamal Murray, Malik Beasley, Monte Morris, Michael Porter Jr. There are value in some of those draft picks that he was able to select. There's been some mistakes, too. I mean, the Nuggets also traded Donovan Mitchell for Trey Lyles, and the 24th picked uh, Tyler London in uh, 2017 and moved Rudy Gobert for a second round pick and cash considerations. There's been some issues there. There's been hits or misses, but there's been more misses than hits with the Chicago Bulls. And that's the whole point is that there are no perfect GMs, but you've got to be able to find those that can scout talent and do the right thing. And for those that look at this and say, well, what has this guy ever done? Karnasovas. Well, here's the thing. We're going to find out. And for those that have been looking at Garn Pax and saying, this is not going in the right direction. When is this going to change? Change is coming. I would rather have Karnasovas in position right now to be the president of basketball operations, finding a general manager also that he could work with and changing the face of this organization than going with the same old, same old. Because you, you see, I'd rather for this change to happen with others pending. Then to be able to go through the old guard of the Chicago Bulls, the same old, like this could easily be me talking about Doug Collins as the new president of basketball operations and just moving the deck chairs on the Titanic, just moving it around. Pax, you move over here. Guard, you move over here. Ladies and gentlemen, Doug Collins. Well, that's not what is needed for 2020 with this Bulls team. It's a new decade. It's a new era. It's time to start winning again. A world-class city with the mo- one of the most passionate fan bases in all the NBA. And you got to look at turds like we've seen time and time again with this Bulls team. Turds meaning the bad one-loss record, seeing over 215 losses over the last five years. You've got to be able to have much better than what you've seen so far. And Carnesovis is going to come in, and hopefully he'll see, number one, he's got to be able to look at the head coach and decide whether or not Jim Boylan is the guy for the long haul. You and I both know what's going on with Jim Boylan. We understand the disconnect that has been put out there in a major way from the players to Jim Boylan. Off the record, stories that I've heard about how some of the players just don't have a respect for Jim Boylan. And it started from the beginning. Just think about how it started from the beginning. Fred Hoiberg gets fired. And then Jim Boylan moves 18 inches over to the head coaching spot. So now the players already have in their mind, well, wait. So we were losing... And Fred gets fired, so why are you the head coach? Weren't you part of the problem? That's not how the Reinsdorf saw things. And you saw before COVID-19, before the postponement, the Bulls once again going in the wrong direction. Two quality wins against teams over 500. That's all they had. And yet, there's excuses and head nodding and talking about the growth plate and talking about developing the team. Well, here's the thing. You can understand that there was real development and growth with this team, but we didn't see that under Jim. So Karnasovas has to understand that there are a number of other coaching candidates out there that he should look at to mold and shape these, this young core. As we talk about the Bulls with Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. So Karnasovas comes in from Denver, and it's probably going to be in this job for the next 25 years if the Reinsdorf's have anything to say about it because you know the big L word, right? It comes down to loyalty with the Chicago Bulls. Remember, I want to underline this and sear this into your brain. Jerry Krause was the GM of this team in 1985. John Paxton, after that, became a GM. There's only been two people in power, in real power with the Bulls since 1985. Loyalty was good on one end during the Jordan era, but in this case, it's just a player that has been with the organization who was beloved as a player, beloved as an assistant coach, beloved as a broadcaster, and just underachieved in his position as either GM or basketball operations guy. John is just underachieved, and it's just not good enough. John knows it. That's the thing. It's not like he's oblivious to it. He knows that the teams have underachieved. You can say, ah, it hasn't worked out. Ah, injuries here. Sun's in my eyes. Ah, coaches, all this kind of stuff. But what does it come down to? What you and I talk about on a a seasonal basis, we talk about wins and losses. We talk about whether or not you're getting the job done or not, and the Bulls have not gotten the job done. It's as simple as that. And so that's why there's a change that's in place. The question I would have is, Karnasovas, is he in a position where he can hire the the guy that he wants to work with? Is it his call? Hopefully it is. And then when there's changes that will take place as far as head coach, coaching staff, the way they look at their, their system for scouting, do they have the full autonomy to do that? Or does John Paxton come from the shadows and say, no, 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 this is not how we do things. If you're going to make a change, it's got to be sweeping changes for the better. From the beginning, it smells better. It feels better because it's not Gar Pax. What's interesting is I've had a great relationship with Gar Foreman over the years, personally. But when we talk about business, it comes down to wins and losses. And both Gar and Pax both know that. But when you have people buying billboards, when people come on this radio show, when people get on social media and say fire guard packs and they get on first take and they start yelling about fire guard packs, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing for the city. It's embarrassing for Michael Reinsdorf because it's his baby now. And even though Jerry Reinsdorf has always been loyal and keeping employees around forever, you can keep people around because you think they're good people, but business has to matter And business is not always about just money. Yeah, no, money is a big factor. Revenue streams, all those things are important, but winning also is important too. How about being rich and a winner? Can you do both? We already seen that in the Jordan era. Why can't you do that now? And that's where the rubber meets the road. You can be filthy rich and have generational wealth, and that's great and that you've got a top five in attendance at the United Center because people keep coming into that place because they're looking for something special, and there's loyalty there from some of the fans. But at some point, what we saw was indifference. At some point, what we saw is no-shows at the UC. At some point, we start to see some of you taking over social media and saying, I can't take any more fire guard packs because I want someone else at the helm. That's what it comes down to. That's what it comes down to. It took you 20 years. It took me 20 years, but it's happened. Change has happened. And change is for the better for this Bulls team because you just need a fresh set of eyes. I've been saying it for years. A fresh set of eyes. John Paxson can still be part of the organization, but he's got to be someone like Luol Deng, Horace Grant to the side. And he's got to allow this management team that's going to come in to develop and be able to influence and entice. And again, you know, I want to make sure this is very clear. Those guys that are in place, Connor and whoever's going to be the new GM, they've got to be able to entice others to realize it's okay. You can come to Chicago now because you're going to be part of something new and fresh. The faces before had free agents balking at Chicago. Oh, I don't mind coming here and kicking it at the club. I don't mind eating at the restaurants, but I can't play here. I can't play for Garden Packs. I can't play for the Bulls organization. It doesn't matter what happened in the Jordan era because there are people, uh, young people in this league that didn't even see Jordan play. So they know about the legacy. They know about the banners. They know about the city. But they don't know what it feels like when a city's behind them like Chicago Bulls fans. And so the ultimate point is this. It's important for these new faces for the bulls to be able to say, it's okay. Come on in. There's nobody with a checkered jacket and a white shoes, like a used car salesman. That's going to say, Hey, you can come play for us. It's going to have a new feel. And that's, what's important for the organization. Some thoughts now from Tom Thibodeau, former bulls head coach on the cap and company gave a full scan report on Carlos
0: He has a great demeanor. He's very, very bright guy. Um, And I think he'll be methodical in how he analyzes everything and assess uh, what's good, what needs to be improved, and then he'll formulate his plan, and I think once he formulates the plan, he'll execute it. Uh, He won't rush into decisions. Uh, He he, he was terrific with Team USA, and I think what he adds is he's got great expertise in international basketball, and uh, I know he has a a close uh, relationship with uh Dukan, who's already there who's basically the godfather to all the international uh uh you know uh management type people in the league and I think that'll help because we, as we all know well, there's a lot of talent you know internationally, and I know from my experience team u s a uh tourists knew those players inside and out, and I thought that was a big part of Denver. Um, going uh, from their rebuild into a contender, if they added Nurkic and Jokic, uh, in you know that, and I think that's invaluable. So I think he'll add that piece, and I think he's had a lot of different experience. You're talking about a very accomplished uh, international player too. Like I know when we were in Barcelona, um, the way all the people in Barcelona uh, responded whenever he was walking around. It, and he was incredible. he's an incredibly humble guy, um, and he's had a lot of real good experiences in the NBA. So uh, I think what he went through uh, in Denver will be a big plus for him in Chicago. And I also think being in Houston, uh, where he was around Daryl Morey and being around the analytics, I think that's another element that uh, he'll bring to the table.
2: Our thoughts there from former Bulls coach Tom Thibodeau on with Cap and Company. Interesting scouting reporter on Connor Solvis and the respect that he has internationally uh, and the respect he has around NBA circles. As so we talk about the Bulls with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, we have. Uh, a throwback Thursday coming up in a little bit, I just want people to hear from Mike Singer. Mike Singer is a writer from the Denver Post who covers the Denver Nuggets. And one of the points I mentioned is how to handle the head coaching situation. You and I both know that Boylan's a boob. You know that the players don't respect him. I mean, you could see that on the... I didn't need to give off-the-record thoughts from people around the organization to to tell you that. You can watch the games and know. But how is Karnasovas going to be able to handle the Boylan situation?
1: Credit to the Bulls. They got ahead of this. Um, They anticipated maybe the season not coming back. We're going to get out a head start. We're going to try to pick our top executive when other teams may be looking for other executives. So, conceivably, uh, that theory holds water, too, or that process would hold water, too, that they would then potentially look to hire a new coach before everybody else. I mean, if they've already got their guy, they're going to flesh out their front office, then you have to make a real assessment on Boylan. And obviously, uh, I I trust that Arturis is going to lean a lot on John Paxson. He's not a guy who is uh, scared that this this longtime executive is looking over his shoulder. I believe AK is going to use the institutional knowledge that Paxson has Hmm. and use him as a resource rather than as some sort of antagonizing figure um, within the front office, again, speaking to that collaborative nature that the Nuggets uh, utilize so well.
2: That's scary, isn't it, Eric? Like, like if AK there was, I guess that's going to be his nickname now. I will call him by his name, Carnasovis. Uh, if he's relying on John, you know what John's going to say. Well, he's got that team playing hard defensively. I mean, right? He's... You
3: see the spirit out there. The spirit is amazing. <laughs> spirit. <laughs> spirit.
2: <laughs> You know, we were going places before this COVID-19. I mean, we were on our way to get the eighth seed. Like, that's that's what I'm talking about here. No, no, you have to make your own decision based on the one loss record and what the players say. Because you know the players are going to say, right? Ah, yeah, you know, you just, you know, and they'll just talk into their shirt. When, when, when you could easily get good head coaches to jumpstart this thing as soon as you take the job. Clean house, right? You, it's your job. You should be able to do it. But see, that's the whole thing with Paxson. That's the thing we don't know. Does the guy have full autonomy to make changes as soon as he gets there? That's the question. We've got a throwback Thursday for you coming up next right here on Under the Hood.
1: It's Under the Hood. Follow us on the ground at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports,
2: ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with
3: Jonathan Hood. Before Snapchat. What is that? Before Twitter. So, what's the sitch?
0: There was. <laughs>
3: that, you, uh, yeah. That's
0: so yeah. throwback. Those were the good times. <laughs> that's so throwback. ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app.
1: Throwback Thursday Memories
2: a little silhouette of a man.
3: Under the hood with Jonathan Hood. Put your hair cut. This is a throwback. All you need is love. All the throwback. Taking it back. Go back. The throwback. the throwback. The throwback. throwback. Under the hood with Jonathan Hood. Let's let
2: you back. back. It's time for Throwback Thursday. It's a TBT right here on ESPN 1000. And the question that we have, Eric, is... What is your favorite TV commercial slash radio jingle from back in the day? Your favorite TV commercial or radio jingle from back in the day? I will say this currently, for all the all the right reasons. Four Seasons that sticks to me. Um, You have been
3: singing that all night, actually.
2: (laughs) Don't you sing it twice now? Have I? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, you know they put a furnace in for me, so. so i'll always thank them for 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 the warmth over the winter uh and uh and chico c-i-c-c-o that's 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 ones currently but there's some um classic ones as well well let's start to talk about why this is the case because you are fascinated by my childhood in which everything was a nice jingle everything was a toe tapper how interesting is it for you to look back into my childhood in the 70s and 80s and hear how commercials and radio jingles were done?
3: It's, it's amazing because I'm sure, like, to think about the hours spent in studio creating these jingles versus now where it's someone's just downloading someone's YouTube beats and, and then throwing in a commercial. Like, it's so <laughs> much work and production and writing and symphonies put into these. They're, they're hilarious, they're great.
2: I think that this has got to be a course down Illinois Media School, right? We're going to have to start people doing '80s, '70s, and '80s jingles. It'd be great. It'd
3: be fun <laughs> to hear them get creative,
2: for sure. So the first one on here from Alex is uh, the classic, back in the day, "Moo and Oink," which is tremendous.
3: Moo and Oink. We got baby, 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 berries, roast beef, hot links, and more to give. Q steaks, hot dogs, real dips, ooh, pork chops, turkey wings, and chicken wings, too. Give me a wave if you like catfish. Jump up if it's your favorite dish. Tommy likes ribs and chicken wings. If you like you, let me hear you scream. Wave for catfish. Scream for ribs. Ooh. a
2: real place and a terrific a terrific freezer filled with food I remember this as a kid going to Munoik on Stony Island let me tell you Eric it
3: might be a, a crazy jingle but the food there was tremendous the, uh, the whole commercial is, it's a giant, it's a music video. It's just, yeah. they're singing, they're in groups, they're stepping. <laughs> I, didn't re- I didn't remember the whole rap part of this. I just remember the Moo <laughs>
2: part of it. <laughs> I do that from time to time when I talk about Dwayne Wade, of course, because his yes. dad was one of the owners of, of uh, Moo and But yo I remember that place. You go in there in the summertime, dude, you had to put on a parka because that place, it was a freezer. You walk in that place, it was a freezer, straight up. Seriously. Because you're, you're getting frozen food, the best of frozen food and right. fish and everything else. It was tremendous. It's like that.
3: you're in the back of the butcher shop type thing. Seriously.
2: That's great. I, cool. I mean, it was just, it was great. Um, let's see what else we have here. Well, people love the, uh, the old Empire carpet commercial.
3: 800-588-2300-EMPIRE
2: Today. Lost a little bit of the, the luster when it, at the 800, when it became national. When it was just a local carpet cool, but now they add at the 800, so, but it's still going today. Uh, that still resonates with me from even in, when I was a child, actually.
3: I think I'll be able to pull that number out on my deathbed. Somebody will be like, hey, what's ah. Empire's number? I will know it. Like, I don't think I'll ever forget that phone number.
2: Got the kind of trying to get a girl's uh, phone number with that once. I said, can I get your number? And she gave me the Empire Carpets uh, That's number. not it. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> what is your favorite commercial jingle, uh, radio or TV? Um, so I actually
3: have it right here. I am stuck on Band-Aid brand. Band-Aid's on me. I am stuck on Band-Aid brand. but germs on me. Introducing Band-Aid brand antibiotic bandages with doctor-recommended antibiotic right on the pad. For powerful protection against germs that can cause infection. I am back oh, Band-Aid brand. New Band-Aid brand antibiotic bandages. Just love the little kid singing. As as a little kid who was constantly cutting and scraping myself up, I was singing that jingle a lot to my mom when I needed, needed a Band-Aid.
2: <laughs> a hot harmonica there, yes. too, by the Which <laughs> you can never go by. You can't get past the hot <laughs> harmonica on a throwback Thursday right here on ESPN 1000. Uh, let's see what else we have here. Well, you know, listen, the old uh, Victory Auto Wreckers. Now, let me just say this about Victory Auto Wreckers. Now, now look, I I love that commercial going back to the mid 70s as a really small child because you knew it like 860 2004 victory will buy it was a, a nice voiceover it was a radio commercial first then I saw it as a television it was Floyd Brown who had the voiceover he had the rich voice that old car is worth money call victory auto records right now and then like, but they changed it and I'm like why'd you change it man they've had to they had to the stay commercial for like 30 years straight and they changed it victory auto records which is that is Central Chicago right there
3: it is, and like I, they may have changed the voiceover, but it's the same guy pulling the door off his car, like still, like it's he's got his 1958 Impala that is running, and he's just
2: it's the same commercial still. And still, I'm sure they're still doing well because it's still up and running in Bentonville, right? And still doing well. That is just quintessential Chicago, and of course, if you need. Um, if you need to call Hudson, you can call Hudson three two seven hundred.
3: This offer is limited and may be withdrawn at any time. So call Bouchelle now at Hudson three two seven hundred. How about that? Did that one take? I was not familiar with that one. That dude's voice is awesome. I like it a lot. That was that's also Ch- quintessential Central Chicago Hudson
2: three two seven hundred, and you understand why it's called Hudson three two seven hundred, right? I
3: don't. Wasn't that's- it like a carpet cleaning company or something yeah. like that? Well yes, but it's it that's the phone number. Oh, the spelling, the Hudson three two seven hundred. It's right. fun. I like it. Right. It's the it's the phone number. Okay, so let me hold on. Yeah, now now kids, do you think they even have any idea how to dial letters? Okay, so that is
2: four eight three uh Yep. So four eight three, but it was Hudson because of the area. So yeah. So that was Hudson three two seven hundred. Of course, that's more um, catchy than the actual, you know, four eight three.
3: Absolutely. That that baritone voice got me right <laughs> away.
2: Right away. That's right. So if you need your carpets clean, you call Hudson three two seven hundred.
3: Perfect. Right after Empire. Installs it,
2: right. <laughs> right? Don't you see synergy? Understand? We're talking about a lot of shag carpeting back then, so that I means it's true. It's the, true. The, the whole thing with the, the 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 bare you know floors, yeah. The you bare know, skin try,
3: rugs, yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, you try to cover up the the great um, flooring back in the day. People have great flooring, and so but they want to cover it up because they want to maintain it. So that's why we put shag carpeting over it to protect what's underneath.
3: Carpet as long as a dog's hair. (laughs) So funny. But comfortable, though. Right. Uh, One more. Can I get one more? Um,
2: How about, uh, and I'm seeing on the list here, someone says, oh, Paul Huber says, I wish I was an Oscar Mayer wiener.
3: Oh, I'd love to be an Oscar Mayer wiener. That is what I truly like to be. Because if I were. That one's classic. <laughs> <for
2: tappers>. sure. <laughs> so you just don't get that anymore. No,
3: that one they could totally bring back too. Like everyone would be happy to have that one back.
2: And that's a throwback Thursday. That's how we do things. Keep that coming. I see you guys on Facebook with Nelson Brothers Furniture and uh Hams Beer. <laughs> and dan lee's building your garage for
3: quality i remember those uh the eagle man commercials are great but there's no <laughs> jingle in it it's just no. wow look at those low rates right. <laughs> <laughs> the worst acting see i mean is, is that man cow in that thing he was in one of those yes yeah. uh-huh Jeez, that's, so that's where it went the wrong way. <laughs>
2: So there you go, everybody. Eagle Band and the whole lot. It's all there on the Facebook wall, all those old jingles and commercials for Throwback Thursday. All right, coming up, we get a chance to talk to Clinton Yates from ESPN. We'll get his perspective on how much... As a baseball fan, he's missing the game and more. That's next.
0: Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. How you doing?
2: Follow us on the gram at IGJ Hood and at ESPN underscore Chicago.
0: ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports.
2: It is great to get a chance to talk to my friend Clinton Yates from com. Go to the website TheUndefeated.com as we talk to Clinton Yates from The Undefeated and ESPN. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, right here on ESPN 1000. Let me check in with you and your fam. How's everything going throughout this pandemic and COVID-19? Things are good. You know, the way that this
1: has been hitting our community has obviously been different because a lot of us are genetically predisposed to immunodeficiencies as a result of health disparities. So I know when first this news hit, people were like, hold up, this identifies a lot of people in my family of a certain age. And so there was a special fear, you know, in terms of what we're doing. And my dad specifically is a 75 year old diabetic. So, you know, when I go see him, we stay away. And if he's not feeling good, he doesn't come out. And it's been tough. I'm not gonna lie, you know what I mean? But it is what it is. and This is what we gotta do, not only to survive but for everybody else to survive as well
2: yeah uh, pretty much staying in uh we were one of the first cities to be hit with that quarantine in the state of illinois so Mm -hmm. dude's not going out very often uh and rightfully so and if you do you know, you will be stopped. People will ask, like, "Why are you out?" Right. You know, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So it's no different from any spring or summer in the city. Uh, but only difference is <laughs> only difference is COVID nineteen hanging over our, our heads. Fair enough, so. sir. Yeah. So no, no different here. So I'm I'm glad to be in the house during this uh, during this occasion. I, I want to reach out to you about a number of topics, including baseball, because I know it's very close to your heart. Um, mm-hmm. I know that that even through this. You, Your bell rings for baseball, minor league or major league baseball. How much are you missing it right now?
1: You know, it's weird because I was at one of the last baseball games played in America before this thing happened, and as a result of that specifically, I don't really know how much I'm missing it because of everything else in this way. That game we were at, we thought was going to get canceled and probably should have gotten canceled. From the way that players were feeling about it, from the way that people around town were feeling about it, from the way that everything else was happening, we were all just sort of like, well, okay, everything else in America has stopped. We've still got four Grapefruit League games going on. Why are we doing this again? You know. And now what I'm missing from the game is not necessarily just the competition, Now, it's what we're doing in terms of the guys who otherwise really have nothing else, and that goes down to the minor leaguers that you mentioned. People don't realize these guys don't get paid in spring training. They are waiting for the beginning of the season so they can get the, I don't want to say measly because that sounds like an insult, but the the meager paychecks that they do get to live their lives and play baseball, they're not even getting those. Now, MLB said that they're going to give guys $400 a week, which is obviously something. It's obviously nothing to scoff at. But I think about the people for whom the competition isn't the only thing about what happens when a baseball game is played. It's about the community. It's about their jobs. That's people around the game. That's minor leaguers. That's a lot of different folks than just the dudes who wear the numbers and get their names called out there. And So that's what I'm missing most about baseball. It's everybody involved, not just the runs, the hits, and the errors.
2: You know, um, that is true. I, I will say this, though. If we did have baseball, I think a front-burner topic that would be flashing like a red light to me, and I brought it up on one of the national shows just as an aside, but just the idea that the draft is going to be minimized by Rob Manfred of Major League Baseball where we're not going to have the million rounds of baseball uh, uh, picks in the draft. And that that says a lot for the minor league system in in, in general because if you're going to have only – five, six, seven uh, rounds of the draft picks. Now it makes you wonder where are those guys going? Like, of course, there's been quality players in baseball that have been picked lower in rounds, and if you're going to minimize that and cut that, uh, what does that do to the minor league system? What does that do for the college baseball kid that had that dream of just playing in the minor leagues?
1: Yeah, what does that do to the overall mindset of what does it mean to make the big leagues and play Major League Baseball? I mean, it cuts almost every single body and every single partner off at the knees. And we all know that Manfred is already a guy that wants to cut down the minor leagues overall. So the word to describe your question is, it's scary, just like everything else here. Because, you know, sure, we might want to say that MLB probably could have done away with all of those draft rounds because it was just sort of weird and sort of unnecessarily just. Dis- pre-slotted people to what they could and could not be you mentioned those people that come up from the bottom but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to still be trying to acquire players just by cutting the draft which is the overall problem and so i do think that there's a lot to be looked at in terms of what baseball sticks with after we apparently return to our new normal versus what they had to do just to survive this particular part and if that's one of those things that's not good for the future of the game. And I don't just mean that because of who is you know, going to disproportionately affect uh, in terms of demographics. I mean because the last thing the baseball needs is an opportunity for people to be lazier because that's just going to affect the overall competitive level. The baseball draft was always the biggest hit or miss thing of all of the professional sports in terms of who was going to be any good and who was not. Now, if you give a reason now for people, but it, it still at least required people to look because they could, might, they had the opportunity to at least be able to find something. But now, if that ends up getting shortened up or it ends up getting sort of all kind of homogenized into one kind of particular thing, well, then the talent level you're going to get is just going to be based on what's easy to look at. And that doesn't always, you know, portend well. And that's, I don't know, man, I don't want to get too depressive on this, but baseball is in a place where I think of the four major sports, they're going to have the most to sort of overcome to get back and it's going to be the hardest because of exactly what we just talked about, the number of players involved between the top flight and the amateur level, and how interconnected those people are in terms of not just uh, entities, but how the level of play works. Baseball's got the hardest road back, and it's, it's, it's kind of scary to think about.
2: There it is. There's the love right there. There's your first love. You can hear it right there in your answer, <laughs> sir.: There it is right there. For it's real here. bro,
1: like you know it, it, I mean if you think about interest dwindling overall in terms of things and all of a sudden you can't let kids play for an entire summer you'd like to think that that's all of a sudden going to bring people back to the ballpark you'd like to think that kids are going to say oh I can't wait to break my glove back in but there's no guarantee of that there's no guarantee that anybody's going to even want to show up to watch a baseball game in person anymore you know and so it's it's tough to really be all that super positive about it but you just hope that whatever it is we take from it we don't use to just sort of make things easier for the sake of it. We actually use it to bring things along to a place that they never were before.
2: What is, uh, what is your favorite minor league cap? <laughs> My favorite minor
1: league cap? Probably the Montgomery Biscuits. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're not familiar with them, they have a cap that has like a multi layer. You know how flaky biscuit looks if you look at it from a cross section? Yes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it got like yes. a hat that looks like that. So it's like a layer of brown, a layer, like a light brown, a yellow, like kind of a darker brown. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> the Visual League Baseball has a lot of cool hats. Um, the Hopsville, not, not, what are they called? The Hops out in Portland. I can't remember the first name. I can't remember what city it's in. It's some suburb of Portland. Mm-hmm. They've got a cool um, hat. Uh,. The Harrison, the Harrisburg Senators just came out with a cool one because of the World Series Champion Washington Nationals that's got George Washington popping bottles on the hat, which is very dope. Um, that's a new one. Y'all don't know about that. That was a no. deep cut, so go look for that. That's, that's what you So I can pay the big bucks on this show. Good. No, but, um, there's, there's a couple. Uh, wow. Those are the ones that come to mind, though. Montgomery Biscuits. God damn it, I can't remember the name of that team, the Hops. Um, I mean the name of that city, the Hops. Uh they're in Portland <laughs> though. And uh yeah, Harrisburg Senators. Double A, baby. <laughs> that is funny. Okay.
2: Now I gotta get that. <laughs> now I gotta get one, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I you know, I'll I'll ask this other baseball thought I had uh regarding how you know, during this time, we've had a lot, a lot of wild ideas to be able to turn sports. You know, COVID nineteen be damned, deaths be damned, uh, body stacking mm-hmm. up. Just give me my baseball, give me my sports, and I just think that that is, for me personally, that is completely wrong because I'm not going out anywhere until I know that it's safe, and that's the same thing about going to a ballpark. But nonetheless, the the whole thing I'm looking at is when we see ideas thrown out there by baseball sage, by by these baseball experts, thinking, you know, we just put every everybody in Arizona, like all the teams in Arizona as an idea, and then not even thinking about the people that do the laundry or the people that are setting up the uh, the stadiums or announcers. Right. Right. So so how come, why so myopic when it comes to the the feeling of, oh, we got to get baseball back. We just put them all in one place, just have a Petri dish of baseball players in one city or in one state and just play baseball and never think about Maybe someone else has COVID nineteen. Maybe someone else has gone through some issues. It's it's kinda of typical of sports today. I can sort of understand
1: the on some level why if you wanted to get baseball back you would bring everybody to the same place, have it be at a place where there's already a baseball community, perhaps because whoever those people that are involved are need you know, the work or the you know, the, the life experience or whatever as much as it is, you know, as much as anything, because of, because of the fact that they actually like baseball. The idea of I'm just going to pick everything up, stick it over here, and do it because we got to do it, that's a totally different concept. And look, our overall collective knowledge about what COVID 19 and how novel coronavirus has affected the world is changing drastically day to day. I would not be surprised if any of these leagues, and I'm not just singling out Dana, sort of rush back to get something on you know, the the court or the rink or the diamond or whatever it may be, or the field, that people aren't sort of looking at that like, hey, are, are you sure? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know that this is what I want to be a part of until I feel safe about a lot of other things. Sports would be nice, but that doesn't mean that now that we're at this point of education, even the average massive sportsman is willing to just look at anything without feeling pretty awful about it if, you know, they're not comfortable with themselves.
2: So the idea that there was a... <laughs> that there was a WrestleMania taking place and yeah there was no fans but you know there was hundreds of people back there working on top of each other trying to get that uh that WrestleMania off last weekend in Orlando and then whether it was right. taped or not it was you know there's a lot of people there no fans or not there's still a risk but they don't care they couldn't care yeah, less yeah i mean
1: i mean and to me you know right and wrong is kind of look that's above my pay grade at this point and i'm saying that sort of uh from a corporate and existential standpoint, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I do know stupid, you know? And this is the kind of thing that it's it's not that I necessarily know that, but I I know that that's the worst case scenario is that this is really stupid because what's there to gain? You make a you make a little money and what if just I don't know. and you know I don't want to speculate on the worst, but like that's that's the whole issue, is that for whom and for what at this point? And I think the answer for a lot of you know people who are speaking, you know, we think about Gundy down at Oklahoma State. It seems that the answer to for whom is always basically just for myself. And that, to me, is ultimately what I think is a very scary prospect for who we are as a society. If everybody just thinks, well, I want to get this done basically for me, Nobody survives that, man, you know, and so it doesn't matter what we get done. And that's, that's the tough part, I think, to really get through to people on, particularly all the people who have for so long in their lives wielded so much power of determining what it is that other people like, because that is what they provide to the world.
2: Uh, among the things that we have in common, good people, brothers and sisters, bottle popping, the other thing that we really have in common <laughs> is um, the ability to, to enjoy a nice Uh, Some nice vinyl music, and I told you the story a while back that my grandfather once owned a record shop on the southeast side of Chicago during the era of the Black Panthers, Uh, and uh, they were going up and down the streets, and they were making sure that uh, certain areas were protected, including my grandfather's uh, record shop. In exchange for whatever albums came out, um, but mm-hmm. <laughs> nonetheless, uh, so what? So what are deal. the things, yeah, it's a good deal. Like you, got, <laughs> you, you know, you got that new Stevie Wonder, sure, okay. Right. Make sure that you're taken care of, exactly. yeah, pretty much. <laughs> they like superstition, like everybody else did, I guess, at that time. <laughs> um, but one of the things that that really disappointed me was going through the, my collection and pulling my only Bill Withers uh, album, which was him at Carnegie Hall back in 1973, and finding out it was scratched. <laughs> and I needed that because he just passed away. I was wondering if you had a perspective on Bill Withers uh, and what you think of his music?
1: So have you seen the movie The, uh, the Black Godfather on Netflix, the documentary? Yes. yes, absolutely. I just watched that recently, and so it had refreshed me in terms of you know who not who Bill Withers was—but it it offered an interesting perspective on the artist that he is and the person that he, you know, represented in his music. And I remember when I first saw the news that he had passed, and I thought to myself, you know, the irony of his music and him going away from the world at this time is not lost on me. In terms of leaning on each other, in terms of you know, lovely days and how those are kind of gone. And I'm being sort of ham-handed with this here, but it's real. And the reason I say that is because Bill Withers didn't become famous until he was like 30 years old. You know what I'm saying? Like, artists like him don't even exist really in the world anymore. People who had perspectives on lives, who suddenly just became popular through hits that were honest, never mind musically genius. And I think that in a sort of a weird way, like... I, <laughs> that kind of reality about who we are is something that this virus situation is forcing us all to really take a look at is what what do we really want to do with ourselves you know what i mean and what is our real sort of talent if not anything else and that that particular individual from his music to who he was was really a kind of a, I just kind of cosmic timing in terms of when he choose, chose to chose one guy or whatever being you believe in chose to take him from this earth, man. I didn't mean to get too deep with that, but I really thought about that, man. That guy made great music for a generation, but something about who he was and how he got there really struck me in terms of when he left the rest of us.
2: I'm so glad you spent some time with me um, because we got, we're going through a tough time right now, but we need to have some perspective on what's going on with sports and culture in our lives. So I'm glad you uh, spent some time with me. Thank you.
1: Absolutely, Hood. Anytime, brother. Stay
2: up. It, it is uh, Clinton Yates from ESPN with me, Jonathan Hood, as you're listening to ESPN 1000.
0: Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood.
2: Follow on Twitter at TweetJHood. A couple of nuggets for you. I'm really happy that Chris Bleck and I were able to come together for another NBA podcast. And there's a reason why we're having an NBA podcast, not because there's games, but because of um, movement happening on the West side with the management for the Chicago bulls. So check that out either in the black and Abdallah tab on the ESPN Chicago app or the under the hood um, tab on the ESPN Chicago app. So check that out. We'll put that out on social media on ESPN Chicago on Twitter And on my own Twitter, Twitter Twitter.com, Hood for you to be able to listen to Chris and I go back and forth about the NBA and the Chicago Bulls and movement happening with the organization. Again, it's the Love of the Pod NBA podcast. uh, Wherever you download your podcast, you can check that out. I'll have a fun time talking to Chris about that. Um, I saw this little note about Nick Saban now able to send emails. You know, there's something sad about that, Eric. Like, <laughs> it's, I mean, there's something sad about that. Have you seen this? I, you didn't, see this
3: I knew that like a bunch of pro like NFL guys were having issues because of they're not tech savvy and they need to be doing the draft from home. I did not know that Saban does not know how to send an email.
2: Yeah. So Nick Saban describes how he he's been stuck inside and has it has vastly improved his technology skills as he uses FaceTime, Zoom, and he finally has his own email account. How sad is that? In That's a lot of ways,
3: mind blowing. Really, how do you conduct like any sort of work or business without an email?
2: It's 2020, and he's the most successful college coach. W- one of them, definitely in the history of the games, definitely in the modern era. And for him not to be able to be able to communicate through email is unbelievable.
3: I guess email does leave a paper trail. So much easier to recruit, if you know what I mean, without the paper trail. <laughs> by God, he's not Rick Patino as far as I know, though. <laughs> we don't
2: know. <laughs> we thank you for listening and being part of the program here on ESPN 1000. Our thanks to Clinton Yates for being with us. Also, Matt Bowen with us and Amin Hassan. Show produced by Erica Strausky on the other side of the glass. Now, if you can't join me Saturday between 5 and 10 p.m., as I'll be with Zubin Mahinty and John Anderson yeah, uh, on Saturday, then join me Monday on the 13th. We will talk Chicago sports and everything else. Remember, you and I were alone together. All the best to you and your family. And thank you so much for listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN
1: 1000, Chicago's home for sports.